Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. I do believe that people's hearts are starting to shift and we've seen more kindness happen in various ways during these tough times. I know many people hear this, but meditation increases neuroplasticity. So meditation is another thing to help with brain health. Now, will these things prevent a stroke? I cannot say that, but can you do things that will enhance your health to make your body one if something was to happen rebound faster? Yes. Not all stress is bad, by the way, but just managing kind of what you can. We're gonna have years like we just did that's gonna put a lot more pressure on us, but if you have an outlet through exercise or meditation or good people around you, that's gonna help your mental well-being and your brain health. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Darlene Santori. Darlene is a performance coach for the Phoenix Suns, both on and off the court. But here's why I wanted her on the show. I wanted her on the show because she's taught me some amazing life strategies that are just fun. Like making sure that you have a friend in every age group from 10 years old to 90 years old. I never thought of that. I don't have any 10-year-old friends. I don't have any 90-year-old friends. That seemed weird for me at first, but the more I think about it, the more I realize how, from a neuroplasticity standpoint, it'll keep your brain pliable. So Darlene has a very different approach to coaching and you will love this interview. So please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Darlene Santore. Darlene Santore, welcome to the show. (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for having me on. You know what? I got to tell you, I am, uh, I'm an East coast, New York guy. And when I hear a name like Santore, I just got to, I got to belt out some Italian. So, uh, you're, you're an East coast girl too. I am. Yeah. I grew up in Connecticut between Connecticut. My family's between both there and New York, but most of my time is in Connecticut, lived in New York some, and uh, they all, the Italian family is all still there. No one moves. Only I did. <laughs> no. Every time I talk to my mother, my dad passed a couple of years ago, but every, anytime I talk to my mother, she gives me the same answer. Where am I going to go? I'm like, anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> anywhere where it's warmer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. Where Where am I going to go? That's what she says. I, I don't like. I don't even know how to answer that. Um, but I would. Su- I would suspect that being an East Coast Italian, this whole COVID thing has perhaps yeah. put a damper on those Italian hugs and kisses that you're used to uh, being around. Yeah, very much. It's almost literally like I have lost a limb being able to not not being able to hug people and. I still, I mean, even with their masks on, I still go up and I'll go and hug some people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. It's just so natural. And in all honesty, true, truly people need physical touch too. So lack of being able to hug people and connect with people, that's just a challenge in itself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're living in a weird, weird world right now. I, um, I just came off of doing four months about, I guess about a year ago, doing four months, uh, living actually in Italy. We lived in Florence. It was like a bucket list goal. And, That's awesome. uh, yeah, it was incredible. 
And, you know, it was right before COVID hit. And then we moved from, I lived in Atlanta for 25 years. And then when we were going to move to, we were moving to Los Angeles and we decided to take a four month break and move to Italy in between. And when we got here to Atlanta, COVID had just hit. So I went from, you know, uh, flirting with 90 year old grandmas selling me tomatoes on the street to, you know, oh my God, you know, put your mask on and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to cross the street when you come by. So it's, it's been a, it's been a crazy thing. I'd like to, uh, to start off while we're talking about family, I'd like to start off by talking about your mom. Your mom had a strong impact on how you see the world. And she was a giver, right? Uh, as, as most Italians are. Uh, whether she gave uh, a free haircut, a free haircut, or a cheer uh, to cheer somebody up, could you maybe add some color to that portion of uh, your story with your mom? Sure. So, growing up in Connecticut, you know, we, I grew up. My mom was a barber. My dad was a tool and die maker. We didn't have a lot, but my mom was someone that literally would give to everyone. I mean, she was always looking to serve, and we joked around she would buy these trinkets, which we called tchotchkes. And she was always giving like these little things out to everyone. I'm like, mom, they're like dust collectors. They're going to, but you know what? Now with her gone, people kept so many of those little trinkets or what we call tchotchkes. And they loved it because my mom always thought of someone and she would be someone that she would get tips, you know, from being a barber. And then she'd be at the Dunkin' Donuts line and she'd be tipping the person at the cashier window when she needed that money or she'd be hungry. She's eating a sandwich. She's someone else is hungry near. She's given the other half of her sandwich away. I mean, she would go, she would go without so someone could have something. And that's what I watched my whole life, which then, you know, pay it forward, overseeing the pay it forward movement for our country. That, you know, that was just something someone reached out and asked me to do, but I'm saying that in the sense of it was just a way of life. That's what, how it found us. And I have to tell you, she just passed a little over a year and a half ago. Her funeral was standing room only. This is a barber with no social media, really. It's packed. I mean, congressmen were there. Um, People came from New York, Boston, all over to come because she made such an impact. Everyone felt like a VIP. Everyone was seen and heard. And the world needs more of that. And she was always giving. And so for people to really want to have a rich, full life, that is so much the recipe of it, which is really looking to see how we could lift others up and building community because that's what she had. She had community. So when she went through tough times, people were there for her because she was there for them all the time. Why, why do you think that we don't operate and we let's i will stay in america we sort of collectively are more self-centered and more focused on our needs than the needs of somebody that's in front of us like where do you think that Mm. that sort of stems from you know i think part of it is some of the stuff that we're sold that we watch which is this dream of accumulating so it becomes monetary And that in order to get there, you know, from whatever shows you might have watched, the things that impacted your subconscious about how you get to the top, what you're going to do to get there, which means you got to think of you first. And this mentality that comes from me-centered versus we-centered. And then what do we find? So many times, you know, it's great to accomplish goals. It's great to have such achievement, but not at the cost of someone else. You know, all tides rise together really does really mean all tides rise together. We could collectively do this. So I think there's just been this way prior to seeing that it's got to be worrying about me and getting to the top. And then I'll worry about you once I'm there. And so I, but I do believe that that is shifting right now. And I do believe that people's hearts are starting to shift and we've seen more kindness happen in various ways during these tough times. And I know that's not what many people see in the news, but I do want to remind people that there are really good people out in the world doing some really good things that care about each other and that would be willing to come together to help serve someone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting place we're in. I was on the phone this morning with, uh, with Italy, cause we're going to go uh, back for a month at Christmas next year. You know, uh, we're booking nice. a place in Florence. Um, it can't get enough of it. And you know, the conversations that I'm having with them there 
about you know businesses being affected and um, you know people wearing masks and COVID and, and everything. It almost I live in LA and it almost feels like the same conversation here. So you're right, we're in this weird place now where we are collectively as a world starting to shift into a different different level of thinking. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a spiritual thing. I don't know if it's just you know, some weird happenstance. I, I don't think that there's any accidents, but uh, it, it's certainly interesting how it's all happening, isn't it? It is. And everything ends up, you know, people still by nature want to serve and help each other. And we usually see an adversity when people come together the strongest. And the most vivid memory prior to this was 9-11 because I was still on the East Coast and just seeing people come together and places and who's bringing someone food and which restaurants handing out food to people. I mean, it was nonstop caring for each other. So yeah, that well, was a time. Was, yeah. I remember, uh, remember my dad, when he was alive, he, he went down to help, uh, during that time. It was a, it was a crazy, crazy period. But to your point, I remember the day after that happens, that was that day was impactful, no question, right? It was like, where were you when Kennedy yes. was shot? You, we remember that. Yes. But the day after, the world was different. I mean, tangibly, totally. tangibly different. So I want to talk- um, I have chills right through my yeah, arm. You talk about was, that because I feel it. Yeah, you remember, you remember, right? It was like, you know, it was, ugh, God, it was crazy. So when you were, um, when you were 16, I'm, I'm taking you down memory lanes. Just a few years okay. ago, you were you were 16. Your uh, your grandfather had a stroke, which sort of lit the fire for you to become an OT, um, mm -hmm. occupational therapist. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about sort of how that story and uh, the story with your okay. grandfather led into OT, and then maybe you can talk yeah. about what happened when you were 25. Okay, so. Like I said, growing up, we didn't have a lot. And a lot of my the people in my family did not go to college. So it was, I just, I just knew that I was going and I was going to probably pay for it and I'd figure it out. But I still had a very strict father. And he says, uh, you know, you may be paying for your college or want to go. He's like, but you got to know what you're going for. And I'm like, dad, I'm 16. I don't know exactly what I want to do completely as far as which degree and there, I said, I just know I want to help people. I want to serve. I don't know what, in what capacity. And my grandfather ends up having a stroke right after we're having this conversation. He's in the hospital. And that's when an occupational therapist comes in his room and starts working on his vision as well as his cognition and trying to help him with his daily activities, but really based around some vision therapy, some cognitive therapy. And she was looking at him holistically. She was looking at the whole person on how to get him to move forward. And that just, I really, it's almost like it was God's little way of like, think, there you go. That's the light bulb that's going on because this is what I have in store for you. And I just got lit on fire. I wanted to know everything about it. And that took me on the journey. I went on and became an occupational therapist. I came out of school and started in a traumatic brain injury unit, specialty rehab hospital in Connecticut, Gaylord Hospital. And we, I specialized on the Acquired Brain Injury Unit. And that's where we, you know, neurology is really our specialty and our background. And the irony of why you said that about 25 is there I was treating patients in the hospital for a few years. And then at 25, I suffered my own stroke. I'd gone to see a chiropractor and when I got, because I had a twinge in my back that I needed just fixed. And unfortunately, it just happens. It can happen. But I went and when they manipulated my neck, they ripped the vertebral artery in my brain. And I didn't know I was bleeding. And it left a blood clot in my brain. So I thankfully didn't have any paralysis. Uh, I did have some visual disturbances and balance and things like that. It was not as severe, but it definitely affected my life because it led a blood clot in my brain, which if it dislodged, you could die any day. So I was like, well, here, well, I'm gonna, I'm here gonna, we go. I'm gonna... We're going to just like change direction. I'm going to add a weirder twist of fate to your crazy twist of fate story. And do you know what I was for 25 years? What? A chiropractor. Stop it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Now, so it, now let it me say on, be, on, on behalf of uh, my fellow chiropractors who I'm sure are listening, um, we have studied 
these uh, stories. We've heard these stories. Every chiropractor I know, knock wood, has never had it happen to them. But we certainly know that when you're doing a cervical adjustment, you can absolutely cause a stroke. That is that is a side effect, a possible side effect um, of a stroke. But I've never, I mean, God, I, was, I practiced 25 years and I probably, I don't know, I probably saw 150 people a week for 25 years. It's never happened. And the fact that it's happened to you is just crazy. Like you are literally, I am a chiropractor in practice for 25 years, no longer, I retired, but I've never met one where it's happened. You're the only one that I met. So I am so sorry that that happened to you. And when you, when you had that happen, was it instantaneously on the table or no. it was a slow bleed? It was a slow bleed because when it's, when it, nick the artery, which again, these are things that can happen. So to your point, it doesn't happen to everyone. I mean, you've practiced all those years, but it's, it's a risk. And so, uh, it was a slow bleed. And by the time the blood filled up the vertebral artery, that's when, uh, the effects started to happen. So I did not know what happened right then and there. And then when they went in to go check, obviously we found out later on. Now, when you were an OT, were you working with people um, who had strokes. Is that pr yes. primarily brain, brain uh, issues? Brain, both brain injury and stroke. So whatever, whatever acquires some sort of insult to the brain. So car accidents, motorcycle accidents, strokes, tumors, anything that would affect the brain. That was my specialty. Let's stay on the stroke for just a second because the word has been coming up more and more. Uh, my brother, who I'm 40, 40, I wish I was 40, I'm 55 uh, this year, and my brother's 53. And at 51, had a stroke, just no really, no history, no nothing, just had a stroke, you know, drooping face in the hospital, the whole thing. And he's come out of it. And we never really got like a great story about or a great understanding about why. So is there anything that, you know, you know of since mm. you have sort of this stroke right. background, uh, right. certainly professionally and personally, is there anything that people who are listening can do to make sure that they've got, you know, good brain health? Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, you just hit it there. And if anything during this time, it's all been about immunity too. Our immune system, number one, I would say like over and over and over, make sure you're always working on immune health and, and decreasing inflammation in your body because that does a lot of different things. And then brain health is, I know many people hear this, but meditation increases neuroplasticity. So meditation is another thing to help with brain health. Now, will these things prevent a stroke? I cannot say that, but can you do things that will enhance your health to make your body one, if something was to happen, rebound faster? Yes. Can you increase neuroplasticity to help with that? Can you take certain supplements, which again, I wouldn't say, but you could go and go to someone, doctor, functional medicine doctor, find out what's right for you. But you can watch. I would watch all your levels from magnesium levels to iron to vitamin D, like check the levels of your body and then make sure they're right for you. It's not like you don't want to go take you know, a ton of milligrams of something. If it's not what you needed, but when you could start customizing supplements to fit your body, you may only need one or two. Some may need 10, but I would definitely think for brain health, it would be around optimizing your levels in your body so that it does help your brain. I would definitely say that we know this, but exercise is so important. Mobility, keeping your brain active through physical function and then cognitive exercise, doing things that keep you cognitively stimulated. Listen, I love a good Netflix you know, time and watching a series, but that can't be your world every single day. You've got to stay active and you've got to stay engaged to something that's your why and keeps you going. And as far as you know, we hear these stories like your brother were these, and obviously what happened in, in my world differently, but strokes, things, they happen. We don't know necessarily why, but on average, every day, your body is a miracle. It's running at the proper blood rate, you know, blood pressure. It's operating at the right temperature. It doesn't throw you off. Like it's a miracle. So sometimes these happen. And I would say, make sure that you're trying to do the best to eat healthy and keep a healthy environment around you. Cause that really does a lot. And managing stress to this certain extent, not all stress is bad, by the way, but just managing kind of what you can 
We're going to have years like we just did. That's going to put a lot more pressure on us. But if you have an outlet through exercise or meditation or good people around you, that's going to help your mental well-being and your brain health. Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple of things I wanted to go over with you. you. I took some notes on a few things that you said that I want to touch on. Um, have you ever done a 23andMe uh, genetic profile on yourself? You I have. Did. Okay. Yeah. So now what they're doing, it's really interesting. Now you can take, I don't know if you know this, but you can take the 23andMe data and you can give it to somebody and they can tell you where you're likely deficient, what kind of mm -hmm. diet you should have and what kind of workout you, you should do uh, coupled with um, a blood test. So it's really fascinating. That's awesome. That we can get like, you know, hey, you know, her family's from like, you know, Southern Italy and in, in yep. this area. You know, you have you're likely to have a decrease in this and look out for this and that kind of thing. The other thing is, um, have you ever done TM, Transcendental Meditation? Yes. Did you go through the course? Yep. I was trained through Lululemon. I'm an ambassador for them. So we did a meditation whole six-month program and yoga certification too. That's, that's great. I just did a four-day Transcendental Meditation course. It was a little hippy-dippy, but I got to tell you, twice a day... I definitely feel a difference in uh, a decreased level in stress. There's there's a lot of crazy going on, you know, under this hairdo of mine. I got to tell you, I mean, there's a lot happening. It really is. That was the other. But and it then does the last, work. But it does work. And then the last thing I want to ask you about that, and then I'll move off of strokes. Is um, have you heard of Doctor Amen? Do you know the name, yes. Doctor? Brain and doctor. Yes. The brain guy. Do you know much about him? I don't know anything. But I, I know he's 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 the he's the the go to guy, at least on social media for this. Yep. I would say there's him and there's a lot of other places, too, that that specialize in these brain scans. And so there are really good centers. There's I can't remember the name of one in Colorado. There's Dr. Eamon and there's another center in California that I can't remember the name right now. But the whole thing is, is that these brain scans at least will start to let you know what is going on in the brain. And then obviously, excuse me, providing supplements that you can then follow up with. So you're getting a little bit of an advantage of knowing if there is something that warrants attention, they would see it rather than waiting until something happens. So I know that it's a bit pricey, but if someone does have the opportunity and can do it, it would be optimal to just have it in your kind of health review journey that you'd want. And prevent it, think of it as preventative medicine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the thing that I battle most in this area is alcohol, specifically wine. You know, I yeah. love wine, you know, and I know it's, I'm Italian, you know, I love wine. My mother's, my mother's name is Cecilia DeVito and her family's from uh, Naples. So, you I know, love it. yeah, I got that. I had, you know, her, her brother was Guido DeVito. You know, you came, if, if you were behind them, all you saw was knuckles and a Cadillac behind you. It was unbelievable. Speaking of, I want to talk to you about Mary and Vinny. There was a uh, another couple that have uh, had a significant impact on your life. They were your neighbors. Um, yep. They they taught you little things, and I just thought when I did my research that this was just such a pisser. They taught you not to steal the extra sugar. Don't go to the yes. diner and stuff sugar packets in your pocket. It's not good. Now, my mother, at any given moment, she'd pull a Kleenex and a Sweet and Low out of her pocket. Okay, so how how I'm did laughing. it's it's horrible, but it's true. It's like I'm like mom. I know. Like that is not your sweet and low. She's like, oh, I pay. I know you did not. It's horrible, but that was that's the mentality. But at least at least Mary and Vinny had some uh, a semblance of decorum uh, and uh, you know respect. So they taught you um, about about how to you know not take extra sugar, and that sort of led into the raising the bar campaign. So tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about Mary and Vinny, and tell me about raising the bar. I love that you found this to bring up because this makes me so happy. It, so what happened is Mary and Vinny, they're like I call them like my Christian grandparents. They're just salt of the earth. They're just great people. They came into my life an amazing time in my life, and. I would spend hours and hours with them and we would sit and just have great conversations about how to be a better human, how to, you know, lead, what, 
what do you do to handle adversity? Now, Mary had lived through the Holocaust. Vinny had gone through building his own company over time. They loved each other. I mean, here they are. When I first met them, they were in their 70s. Now they're in their late 80s. And I have to tell you, they taught me so much about leadership and true authenticity. And one of the stories that you were referring to was they said, Dar, you are you always have to be a person of your word. So if you say something, you've got to do it. And they said it, that could mean, by the way, this is before like cell phones, they were talking, you know, in general when they gave me their examples, which is when someone calls you, you don't just say, like, tell them I'm not here. You are here. You're lying at that point. You just say, Hey, I'm busy. I'm not able to talk, but don't lie because it starts to break cracks in the foundation. And those cracks in the foundation are all you have to build everything, your legacy, your life, your friendships, your relationships from. And so, and the other example was they said, think about it. Even at Dunkin' Donuts, you go and you grab all, let's, you know, you might only need two sugars, but you're grabbing 10 because you're like, oh, I'm going to need them after that. They don't account for everyone taking 10 sugars. They accounted for people taking one, two, three. So now you're stealing from someone who's trying to make their business thrive. These were little things that I know seem common sense, but it was like light bulbs kept going off for me because, you know, you just like over time, like these little things like, oh, tell them I'm not there. Or, you know, I want to say like Italian way. It's like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Just tell them this. And it wasn't ma- malicious. It was just like, you know, it really, it's like those little fibs. Well, no more. They were like, that's it. Here you are. You're going to be like, I was, my practice was really starting to thrive and take off after that. And I was speaking more and they're like, and I knew why I was doing what I was doing. I was called to. So everything was about leveling up and raising the bar. It literally became the campaign, which stands to this day about how we raise the bar in life, which my whole career is really based on helping people level up in their mindsets, level up in how they live, level up in their leadership. Like you don't want to be the person that, because when you walk in, you lowered the bar for everyone because of how you acted or did something. You want to be where you raise the standards. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jackson, I mean, (laughs) Michael Jordan. But in a different way, the other Michael. Yeah, right. Different, different. Different. And... Yeah. So here's the thing. You, we want to be people that elevate the space, elevate the standard, help people be as optimal as they can, because we need more of that. And we need people to be really, where, where does pain come from? It pain comes from first, no one's perfect, but people say something and then they don't do it. They're not a person of their word. So, and again, this is not about perfection. It's about progress. But when you know someone's truly authentic and they trip up, you're much more willing to like come alongside and help. And also as a leader, no one's going to be perfect. But if you know authentically who they are, they're going to help continue to be able to raise the bar and keep the standard going. But someone's got to set the standard and it's got to be us. And it starts with the little things because those little things make up your character and who you are. And if you can be trusted in the little things, you're trusted in the big big things. Because when I'm around someone and I hear someone just keep breaking down someone else constantly, well, that's part of their character. That must be what they are because that's their common language all the time. So you got to elevate the conversation. You know, it's such an interesting thing. These little things uh, make a difference. They really do it. Like, you know, what's the big deal if you steal some sugar or some sugar? Like it's, you know, you could justify it in your head and blah, blah, blah. But it goes to character and it goes to sort of you aligning yourself with the principles and the values that you want to move forth in the world. I was in, uh, a friend of mine is very wealthy. He's just uh, sold a company for $200 million. Crazy. He's got a lot of money. And we were in uh, Cabo at one of the events I did. And he was telling me that he's, you know, he's getting tighter as he's getting older. And, and so I said, I just got this mobility course. There's, there's a few things in the course. I'll send it to you. And he said, no, 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 don't send it to me. And I was like, why? You're not going to do it? He said, well, I'm probably not going to do it, but that's, that's not why I don't want you to send it to me. I said, why? He said, because I don't want you to buy this guy's course. And then you send it to me for free. That's, he said, yes. I said, I said, well, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to st- steal anything from him. He said, no, no, I know you weren't. He said, I just don't want the karma. And it, it was so benign. It was so little. It was just a yep. little video of a stretch, but there was an integrity, yep. there was an integrity associated with it that I that's never it. forgot. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Perfect example of that and integrity because we are all of those decisions. We really are. 
a friend of mine was coming over to help put a TV, um, what is it, mount on my wall and realized that it wasn't going to work. So he said, hey, you know what? We only need two of these screws in here. We don't. We actually don't need this whole mount with what you have. So let's just keep these screws and we'll return it. I was like, what? No. I was like, absolutely not. We can't return it with two less screws. They're the extra ones, Dar. They don't, I'm telling you, they don't even, these are the extra ones. I was like, we cannot literally return something that does not have all its parts in it and have kept it. I, I, I just, a good conscience can't do it. And he just laughed about gotcha. it. Okay. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the kind of work that you've been doing beyond occupational therapy, which by the way, is you, you no longer do that, right? Still occupational therapy, just in a different way. I'm not in the hospital, but I'm still meeting people in the occupation of where they are, whether it's a hockey arena, a basketball court, a boardroom. Our job as therapists are to help people meet them where they are in the occupation of their life and help them thrive. So yeah, oh, I'm still doing. That's that's interesting. So you've created sort of a like a a new. I don't know, a new paradigm, a new dimension to how you were practicing under the umbrella. You're still practicing as an OT, but you're looking at it through a much, uh, much different lens than you looked at it uh, initially. Interesting. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the Phoenix uh, Suns. You are living in Arizona. Is that right? Okay. So you've worked with uh, the Phoenix Suns. Now you're working with some of those athletes, both on the court and off the court. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you're helping them with, obviously keep as much discretion as you need to, but, but personally and professionally, you know, we think about people helping ball players on the court and it's about, you know, how they can get faster and stronger, but you're also working with them sort of off the court, which affects on the court. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Be the mental conditioning coach for the Phoenix Suns, and now I coach in all leagues, so the NHL, the NFL, MLB, um, and NBA. And in that, the reason for that is because, well, a couple of things. Number one is that just because you be turn pro doesn't mean you have all the skills and know what to do to handle one leadership, to handle the pressure of it, the life situations of it, and it puts a mental pressure besides just the game on your life. And it's hard to just figure out how to navigate that without sometimes having an outlet or someone you could talk to about it. And so that's number one, helping them with just navigating all of this from the mental side. Then there's the mental pressure of the game. You know, when you start to get to this level, you have really good talent, which got you there. But then what becomes the differentiator is the mental side of it. And helping people with their mental edge and being able to stay in mental flow becomes another aspect of how I help people be able to navigate their game, whether it's basketball, hockey, football, whatever it may be. So from my from my standpoint, I'm helping them on their mental well-being, their life skills, and leadership. Because I used to run, you know, as part as being an occupational therapist, I also went back to school for business and helped run companies. So I mixed leadership, science, and psychology together to create this practice that I do. Because leadership is something that as you grow, you have to move up another level in leadership. And then the pressures that come with it. And there are a lot of things that people don't realize when you're in this world in pro sports that life still happens. And the world just assumes because you have all this money. And because of who you are, that it's a piece of cake and everyone's taking care of stuff for you. There might be a lot of help, but that doesn't mean that stuff doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean family members still don't pass away or challenges or self-doubt, even losing confidence in yourself. And where is there a place where you could talk to someone? And being a therapist that specializes in what I do, that's why I say I'm still doing what I do. As I look at the person 360 and I help them on all aspects and I understand the brain and I understand the mental health, you know, when someone's going through anxiety or depression or, or just the challenges of life. And then I help them with leadership and then creating that flow state for them. So it's, it's such a holistic approach for them with the training that I have. That's really been not only see these guys be able to thrive in their sport, but it is honestly such a joy to see them thrive in their life. Because that's really where I see such a ripple effect. Because if they could have that and really do extremely well in their sport, 
then that's them really thriving. And the ripple effect for that is going to be really good for a lot of people. Why sport? Why did you shift into the world of sports? What was it that attracted you? When I started my practice, I started coaching people and people just started coming to me because I was speaking for free on mindset. And I was speaking for free when I left my healthcare world that I was helping people in healthcare. And I wanted to get people to be able to shift their mindset. I started after the whole recession in 2008 when I started my own practice. So I saw people losing literally their mental faculties and wanting to give up. And I was like, I just help people overcome the most extreme odds out of coma. Then I've gone through helping people in companies, multiple companies. And that was extremely in its own stress and its own way. It's like, we've got this. Like, I just have to help you shift your mindset. I promise you, we've got this. And remember mental skills and having someone help you with your game and your sport, and even top CEOs, it wasn't talked about way back then. So people would start to come to me privately. You know, Dar, I heard that you're helping with this. Do you think you could help me? I'm having some anxiety this. Or it might be an athlete saying, I've got to go give a public speech. I, you can put me on the court all day, but I don't want to go in front of people or go sit at a table at a gala and have to talk to people. That gives me anxiety. Then I might have a music artist that came to me and say, hey, I, I'm having struggling with this. Could I talk to you? But they didn't have a place to go. So it really just started to build from there and privately had been helping people. And then that grew. And then it just kind of, it's been, honestly, it's been word of mouth for all these years now. By the way, speaking of word of mouth, nothing makes me happier than to hear call and talk um, and coffee. That has been a long time, a long time. 25 years in Atlanta, I've, I've, I've missed somebody saying, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you up. It's been a while. That's beautiful. You have not lost one bit of your beautiful accent. So we were in, uh, I was at a party recently in Arizona and I ran into um, a mutual friend of ours, Lindsay Schwartz. And um, we were just chit-chatting about things. And um, she said, you know, I have a friend that has a friend in every decade. And I said, a friend in every decade decade. And it was one of those things where she sort of like knocked me out of like the chit chat of a cocktail party. And I said, tell me more about this. And she said, well, she's got, a, I said every decade. She goes, yeah, she's got, she's got friends like from kids to like 90 and a hundred. And I said, I need to understand more. And that's how you and I were connected. So maybe you can tell me yourself what that means and how you approach that part of your life. I didn't seek to have a friend of every decade, but just one, I have an old soul and I really love the elderly, but I also really love kids. Don't worry. I love everyone in between too. But if you were to say, Dar, where do you want to, who do you want to hang out for this weekend? I would be like someone either older or really younger because I love the shift in mindsets and what I could learn from. I want to pull. So over time, people joked around because I, they would find me going to tea or lunch with literally 80 or 90 year olds and Mary and Vinny, obviously were in their seventies too. So, but I got so much wisdom from that. So what happened was I realized I started, it started where Mary and Vinny came into my life, but I've always been around so much. So when I think back now that we're saying this, my mom before the barbershop used to have this salon with elderly where she'd set their, set their hair and rollers and they would come and take me to lunch. I mean, I literally would sit with my mom at the salon and she's like, oh, can we take Dar to lunch? And there I was with the elderly uh, having lunch with them. So it's been part of it. But my, So my oldest friend is actually 96. Her name is Helen. And she is fully with it. Totally. I mean, she's got more wisdom than me. She remembers my schedule better than I do. And we have so much fun when we get to get together. And then it goes down to Mary and Vinny are in their 80s. And then I have my good friend that's in her 70s, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20. And then I have someone who's in her teens. And now her sister is nine years old. So I have from the like 10, below 10, the teenage years, 20s, and all the way up. And I have to tell you, it's been so life enhancing. And I started writing around this more and more that everyone needs friends for every decade because what it does to you is it allows you to stay nimble in your thinking. It doesn't make you as rigid in your thinking and allows you to understand viewpoints. Now, again, you may not agree with all things, but you have a better understanding of where people are coming from. 
and it allows you to be able to be a better person because you have a you have a more open perspective to then have deeper conversations with people. Plus, it enriches your life with such good stories, knowledge, and fun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's first of all, I think it's a book you should write. It's an amazing concept because we get. You know, I'm like I said, I'll I'll be 55 this year, and I could find myself starting to get stuck in my ways. Do you know what I mean? Like stuck in like this is how I do it, and not having that spontaneity I did when I was you know 20, um, or that openness. Um, and you know, so there's wisdom that comes with being older, but you can also become crotchety. Do you know? Um, and then the reverse is true too. When you look at somebody who's 98 years old, like your friend, I mean, she's got the extreme level of wisdom, right? She's lived twice as long as you have. So the advice that she can give you is, is incredible. Um, so you get like the open heartedness of a child and the wisdom of somebody older. Like it's really, it's such a, a simple idea. You got to be a little proactive about seeking these people out, you know? So, you know, as a man, you don't want to be too creepy hanging out with a, you know, young kids. Um, but I, I get, I get the idea and it's a, it's a really fascinating idea. Okay. A couple of things I want to talk to you about. Oh, by the way, have you ever heard of the blue zones by uh, Dan Buettner? Um, right on my stand next to my couch over there. You yep. got it. There's a documentary you'd love if you haven't seen it already. It's uh, on the blue zones in Icaria in Greece. And you're watching these hundred year olds just walking up and down the mountain. They look 60. It's crazy. And we have one. The third blue zone is actually next to me in California. It's in Loma Linda, California. And I couldn't figure out like, how is the world of, you know, Kentucky fried chicken, you know, a blue zone? Like, how is that happening? But it's um, what the, uh, the pocket is a Loma Linda is like 90% seventh day Adventists and they don't drink alcohol. They don't take caffeine. They do all the community stuff that he talks about in the book. So, you know, there's a lot to longevity in lots of different ways. All right. So we are going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to ask you questions that are going to seem weird. And you're going to be like, why is he asking me these questions? <laughs> If you had to have a date, would it be Jimmy Fallon, Derek Jeter, Ryan Reynolds? Which one of those three? And I'm, you I'm literally assuming. Picked, wait, you picked three that I would literally. That's first of all, that's crazy because I joke around like those would be three that I would definitely pick, and I have to yeah. pick one. That's the free wow. pass. Oh my gosh! Um, you only I, get one. Okay, I love Jimmy Fallon. I love Derek Cheater. I'm going to go Ryan Reynolds because he could be both funny like them. And then he's got kind of, I'm going to go Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Uh, all right. What's on your nightstand? On my nightstand, too many books. Number one, I have a lot of books on my nightstand. I have uh, stuff that I, lavender spray that I spray every night, help go to sleep, and uh, blue blocker glasses and a journal. And usually water. What do people often get wrong about you? So I think because people see me as like, if they're seeing me speak or something, they see like hype, big energy. I'm usually the opener or the closer and all that. But I had a professor tell me, say, he came to see a speech of mine and he says, you're this hype person on stage. But if pe when people get to know you, there's so much depth because when you're one-on-one -on -one with me, I'm not, I could be the hype for you, but I get really kind of deep and I love that quality one-on-one -on -one conversation and it becomes like this calmness. And so people sometimes see like, oh, it's all the rah-rah, but there's this depth when I get that one-on-one -on -one time with people and quality time is actually, quality is my word for the year. Quality time is my love language. Like I love that. And I don't know that people mess, maybe don't know that if they first only just see me in the talks. Got it. What's the thing that you do that's hard as shit, really hard to do, but totally worth it? The hardest thing that I do now, but that's totally worth it. Mm -hmm. I honestly think probably the hardest thing for me right now is I'm working on a book that I've been writing. And after I had, uh, I had another stroke not too long ago and it's affected when I want to write something, it doesn't come out. If I just go to write a post because I feel inspired to write it, it just comes out. Like I literally have to pull over and write what's on my head and just write it. 
So, and I know writing in general is a challenge, but it's been even harder. This whole thing has been a really huge feat for me. So that's been the biggest challenge as far as writing. Like like writing on demands. Yes. Yes. Writing really does not come out easy for me. Yeah. Got it. Um, What's one thing that you've not gotten to in your life? And if you don't get to it, you're going to have massive regret. Like, you know, you need to do this thing. You know, you need to get to it. And I am not leaving this planet because if I do, I'm going to feel massive weighted regret. Rob, I literally have never left the country and Italy is on my list. I've never made it to Italy and I have to go see my motherland. And I want to go like the fact that you spent time in Florence and you're back. I cannot wait to add that to my list, my calendar to be able to go. Cause if I could live in Italy for a month, which I'm sure I can, but that is something that I just need to do because it's just in me. I have to go to Italy. I have to leave America. <laughs> this is interesting. I interviewed, well, you, I, this is going to make a whole lot of sense to you. Cause I'm sure you've seen it. You know, the television show, everybody loves Raymond's. Yes. So the guy who wrote it's a friend of mine. Now he's now a friend of mine. Um, I interviewed him for the pod cl- podcast. His name's Phil Rosenthal, and he's got a Netflix show on now called Somebody Feed Phil. Um, if you've ever seen that, and I asked him what led to you know he, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars when uh, in syndication when he left uh, Raymond. He didn't need the money to do a, a travel show, but you know I was asking him you know why like what was it about? He said well. In the episode with Ray, um, one year I said to Ray, we got to take you to, uh, I'd like to shoot an episode in Italy. And Ray said, I've never been to Italy. And he looked at him and he said, how can you, how can you have never been to Italy? He said, what do I need to go there for? Like exactly like my mother's answer, right? That would be Um, my sister's answer. (laughs) Right. What do I need to go there for? And he did some research and he found that 70% of Americans do not have a passport. And of the 30% that have a passport, 70% of those don't use it. Oh, gosh. So it is very, very common, which is one of the things I do. All the pictures you see behind me are trips all around the world. I take entrepreneurs because this is this is the issue. So yeah. most people don't do these things. So I, I just take them around the world. We just got back from uh, Italy. I took a group of 20. Uh, I took them truffle hunting. Um, through, oh, the hill, through the that. hills of uh, Tuscany, uh, stuff like that. So interesting. What are some things that you're currently doing that you don't really love and you'd love to do less of this, but you're doing it and you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I should not be doing this. I should farm this out. I should outsource this thing or I should stop doing it altogether. I don't love it. And I am regularly doing it. What comes into mind? I mean, this is it's hard. It's not, not a lot's coming to mind. But one of the things is like when I have to, I love doing my own content for things, but the tech side of anything, like anything, tech side of anything, it takes me so long at creating anything. You know, the, the part of my business that takes the tech side, I just want to be able to, here's the content in my head, share it and delegate. And a team of people are able to like, like Gary Vee, like take it and then put it out in spots and places. That would be great because I know I could deliver more content, but I just need more help with that side of it. Cause it real, I don't like doing any of that. I'm not a, I love systems. I just don't like creating the systems. And it really, as an entrepreneur, that is one thing that really holds me back. Do you use so, Upwork? Upwork? No. Yeah. Google Upwork. I'll send you a link. Um, And you can outsource. Everything that I do is pretty much outsourced to the Philippines. Everything. This video is going to be edited by somebody um, in the Philippines. Um, Hello, if you're listening, because I'm sure you are. Um, And he's amazing. So um, everything can be outsourced. So I would use Upwork. They make it really, really simple. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? In what way? Like Some people may think this is weird, but I... Stamp collect. I DJ. I like. What is that? What like? What is some unusual or kind of absurd thing? But you just love it that somebody else may perceive it that way. Um. Let's see. I told you they were going to be weird. I know. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't. People are going to probably. So I'm trying to turn my camera. See that stuffed animal? I do. So that's Buddy the bear. But since I was a kid and helping people in mental health, 
stuffed animals bring, help people kind of release. And I take stuffed animals and I bring them out sometimes literally all over and I'll say, here, you need to hug this bear. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I know it's weird. I'm like, but it is so therapeutic. And I, I've always loved stuffed animals that, and a, a, like one bear, teddy bear. So I've always had some stuffed animal. And when I, my mom used to take us to this place, we'd go eat. If there was an empty seat, they put a big teddy bear, big stuffed bear there. So you never felt alone. So during COVID, the joke was I have Wilson that I named my plant and I have a buddy over here that's been in the house. Like that's weird, but <laughs> that's, it's that is, that is exactly what I wanted. You nailed it. That is absurd and unusual and you do love it. Perfect. Are there any opinions in the last few years or it could even be further back that you've substantially changed your mind about? You've shifted your position about like for example i saw an interview with obama recently and he said you know in the beginning of my presidency i didn't think it was right for um gay people to get married i just didn't and then um midway through the presidency i said i need to change my mind i i'm going to shift my opinion i knew it was going to be uh it would have a big impact uh for people but he changed his mind um and yeah. i think that's that is the mark of somebody that's a true leader right the ability to go mm, i changed my mind so is there anything for you that comes to mind where you know you had this you had this one position and you thought about it and you're like i know i'm right but then later you went no i wasn't right i i i think i think this way now there's, I can't think of like one actual position, but one thing I've noticed that over the past few years, especially I've been really working on the unconscious bias. So when I see something or I see someone and it triggers me to stereotype a thought on the type of person, what they're like, I mean, it could be anything from, you know, say you see someone with big spacers in their cheek, or say you see someone that's maybe dressed uh, a certain way that makes you think something. I have really worked on leaning in more and being mm. a therapist and talking to people. I generally do that, but I'm human. And so I've been practicing even on a day to day. I might, if it's in the supermarket, if I'm in line somewhere, someone that I might maybe just unconsciously, but consciously, it's like you see someone and it's like, whether you'd have the conversation or not, my, I really worked on going, you know what? Lean in lean in because we know that we find commonality with everyone, no matter where or what they come from. And again, it doesn't mean we have to agree. It just means we have commonality. And I just want to make sure that I always remain as open as I can to hearing, hearing and experiencing what people are feeling and saying. And again, we may not land in the same place, but it's really been great because it's allowed me not to one, keep judgment out, and two, just allowed me to actually love a variety more of people. So good. We do have these unconscious biases, and it's almost like we are, you know, there's a part of it, you're right, that's conscious, but there's a lot of it that's just unconscious where we're very tribal in that we want to put people into buckets and we want to have people that right. have our views in our bucket and people that don't have our views in another bucket, which is why we're literally as a country pointing guns at each other. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do a speed round with you. First thing that comes to mind, what would your friend say is one of your superpowers? My superpowers. I would say they would, a lot of my friends would definitely say I have this like sixth sense of really knowing people. I could walk in a room and I could, I could feel where someone's having an off day. I could, I don't even know someone and I could know generally something like going on in their world. And I just will go up to them and say, Hey, do you need help? I just have a sick sense of, you know, I had people tell me a healer and you just know where to go to nurture, but I could read people. I could understand energy in a room really well and help people feel peace. You're empathic in that way. Definitely empathic. Yes. I like that. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Well, that's a good one. What do I wish people asked me, but they never do? I think that it would be more about, I guess, like my family and what makes me tick or the things that actually like light me up uh, to find out more of that. Because then they see me light up. They get to know me more. Mm -hmm. Got it. Other than The Carpenter, what book have you reread the most? I love The Carpenter. Well, 
I have multiple copies right here behind me of Atomic Habits. Really good stuff. It is so good. It's so practical. I mean, I love Rethinking Success is Above It by Doug Holliday and Atomic Habits, James Clare. Those are excellent, excellent books. And even I even love Chad Beach's book, Help. But um, I love that book and I've read that. So I, I honestly have so many books I could say, but we'll start with just Atomic Habits if people are going to start there. And The Carpenter is my first one. But, but more specifically, what I'm, what I'm after is which one have uh, you reread the most? Uh, let, definitely. Okay. The Carpenter for sure. Yeah, but you can't use that one. I know. I can't use that one. Okay. I, I blocked it. I have reread Atomic Habits, but not through all the way. I kind of pick and choose like art. Um, so that counts. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're using it as a resource. Yes. Constantly. Like probably yeah. weekly quotes yeah. every. Love that. Okay. You, you're stimulating me to re-listen to that book again. All right. We're going to change things up in the remaining minutes that we have. And that is what one question would you like to ask me? I would love, I don't really know much about you other than uh, your Italian heritage that you take entrepreneurs and you travel around. But how about this? If, and I, this may be how life is, but no, no restraints and you could set up your day and you could set up the next year exactly how you'd want it. What would it look like for you? Well, you know, it's a little bit of a, um, a boxed in question for me, because if you would have asked me that question two years ago, I would have described exactly the life that I'm living today. So I was a chiropractor. If one more person said their neck or back hurts, I was going to shoot myself in the head. I couldn't, I couldn't do another day of it. And I dreamed of living in Southern California, surfing, podcasting, coaching, and taking entrepreneurs on trips around the world. So it took me probably the better part of, uh, I would say five years is when that sort of like started to begin. And then the last year, it really started percolating where I just like, I was like, I'm done. I can't do another day of this. And that pain has led to me now living the exact life I want. So um, the perfect day is up in the morning um, at six, two hours of a morning routine that includes lots of things like meditation and stretching and um, journaling, uh, et cetera. Um, and then that moves into a couple of morning coaching calls with people that are trying to make some changes in their life. Um, then that moves into doing things like this podcast interviews. Um, and then I'm done by one and I hit the beach every day, um, at one o'clock and I am surfing, working out, skateboarding until, uh, three or four. Um, back home for dinner. I have a six-year-old. I, I know 55 with a six-year-old. That's another conversation. And uh, I I spend the evening um, with uh, my wife and my six-year-old daughter, Sophia. And we are doing uh, every night, family game night, family movie night, um, and then uh, do an hour of television uh, with the wife, decompress and uh, go to bed and rinse and repeat and do it again. And I do two months a year abroad. One month uh, we do in the Greek islands in the summer and one month we do in Italy uh, at Christmas time. So I am actually living the thing that I dreamed about living. So I, I can actually give you an answer that isn't a dream. It's my reality. And I don't really right now have much else that... Um, particularly striving for in terms of how I want my day set up because I'm enjoying it and I love yes. it and I'm very, yes. very fulfilled with it. Can I ask one more question? You can. What is a piece of life advice you would give from your life thus far and all the people you've met in the journey, but what's a piece of life advice you could share? I think it's two parts. I think the general answer to that would be do more of the things you love to do and less of the things you don't. I think we all spend way too much time living a deferred life plan. Like, you know, when I get the money, when I get the promotion, when I get the blank, then I'll enjoy it. And tomorrow is not promised. We all are living in a world right now that certainly makes us makes us see that. That'd be the first thing. And then the second thing is 
quantify the cost of your dreams. So whatever the dream is, you know, like my dream, our dream as a family is to have a, uh, a villa in Tuscany and to have an oceanfront home here in California. And so we've got all of this vision of what we want. But it's not just a vision and a goal where someday it's going to be. We've quantified it. We know the villa costs a million bucks. We know how much money we need to save over the next 10 years to be able to have the million dollars to put down on it. We know how much we want in retirement. And when you quantify it and you put it into a budget, that progress that you make every time you save a little chunk of it makes you feel like you're making progress on the goal. And right. also your life is built around creating the business that mm. creates the money to live specifically the life that you want instead of, you know, saying, well, someday, you know, hopefully if God is willing, I'll have a villa in Tuscany. That's not how it works. You have right. a plan, you have a, a, a certain amount you need to save, and then you build a business, hopefully around something that you love to do it. So those would be my, my two pieces of advice. I absolutely love that. And especially that latter part of it, because otherwise it, it is just a dream and there is no plan to get there. You have to dream. You have to do both. You have to dream. But, you know, like uh, one of the things that we did when we were doing this dream life budget, um, you know, uh, I looked at it and I was like, well, you know, I'd love to have a Tesla. And then I said, okay, well, how much is that thing? And it was uh, the one I wanted was 130,000. And I went, you know what? I don't want to save the, cause I want to buy a cash. I don't want to save the 10,000 bucks a month or the 5,000 bucks a month for two years to buy that. I would rather take that money and put it into the villa because yeah. the Tesla didn't mean as much to me. It was cool right. and it right. was nice, but it wasn't like I want it. The villa in Tuscany's is something that I, you know, like I'll knock through the wall to make sure that I get the money to do that. So it forces you to, um, to really dig in and say, well, what actually do I want to save this money for? And it makes it real. And there's, you know, you get, when you get that, you know, there's a, there's a saying clarity precedes momentum. When you get that clarity, then you get momentum. But when you're like, I want a Tesla, I want this, I want to, and, but it doesn't mean anything because you don't have an actual roadmap to get there. It gets very, um, every year goes by and you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't hit that goal again. Do you know what I mean? And it gets very depressing. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Last question. Last question. Florence or Tuscany? Florence, Florence is Tuscany. So Tuscany is a big region. Think of, um, Think of New York and inside of New York, you have Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island, and the Bronx. There are boroughs within it. The region of Tuscany has Chianti, Florence, San Gimiano, right? So there's all these different regions. Where people get confused by it is Florence is is the big city in the region of Tuscany. But you walk, Florence is this big. You walk outside of Florence... And I mean, in in no time, you're in the rolling hills of of Chianti. You're okay, in you're it. in Siena. It's just the big city. But to answer that question, it depends on. I know what you're asking. It just depends on um, whether or not you want to have a city, a small city feel, where you're in. Um, and uh, quite literally an outdoor museum that, uh, you can walk through at two o'clock in the morning that will take your breath away. Um, or do you want to be more in a quiet suburban, um, hilly wine region that is just magnificently beautiful, but very, very calm and very quiet. Um, you know, so you're more in a farm than you are a city. So what I would recommend is both because it's, you're literally, you're 15 minutes. You're in, you're, you're in the rolling hills of, of, of Tuscany proper. Mm. Well, I cannot wait to go. I have a a whole big calendar that I just started this year. Jesse Isler's big ass calendar. So we're planning out pending, pending family stuff. COVID and all that. Yeah. Well, I, I know the calendar you're talking about. Jesse's an amazing, amazing guy. He's an Atlanta guy. Uh, as you know, married to Sarah Blakely, right? Just, uh, yes. what, just an incredible, incredible guy. Um, and uh, I would, here's what, here, I'm going to leave you with this. Okay. When you book the airline tickets, you're going. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. So everybody tells me all the time they're going here, they're going there. I say, send me a picture of the airline tickets that you booked. Then I believe you. So <laughs> put, put that in the back of your head. So we Thank are, you. we are booking Italy right now and we're booking it during COVID and we can always, we can always get a refund or cancel it. But when it's on the calendar, it's on the calendar. Yes. I love that. You just fueled me up for that. Perfect. Darlene, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for this. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? No ask. Just if people want more inspiration, you could follow me on coachdar.com or on Instagram. It's the coachdar. And I think just thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I just pray that people will go out and be kinder to each other. And that's not a joke. It's truly like we've got to be kinder to each other. We need that. Well, thank you again so much. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Rob. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.